0: Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. And so he asked me to give a talk uh, that I recently gave uh, at the Round Table Lodge, which is a brand-new lodge in the Glendale area. Uh, that had been operating for a while as a club, and then decided to form a new lodge. And he's talking about new and renewed lodges, Freemasonry in the 21st century. And you know, there are four ages of masonry that we've been operating. The past 300 years, the 18th, 19th, 20th, and now the 21st century, and each one of them had kind of their own distinct style and flavor. And what I want to reflect on is what those were, what we can learn from them, and what's happening today in the 21st century. So, you know, masonry in the 18th century is really interesting. Uh, we didn't own any buildings. No in fact, masonry it all happened inside of uh, mostly taverns and public houses. The Premier Grand Lodge in London was formed at the Goose and Gridiron. Uh, So at the Goose and Gridiron Tavern, which is on uh, Great Queen Street in London, in fact, that's where the uh, Premier Grand Lodge, the United Grand Lodge building is today, is at that site. And so at that time, three lodges from across London, there were about 18 in London at that time, came together and said we're going to form this thing called a Grand Lodge. Therefore, they are not in I And mean, each one of the lodges kind of operated independently and kind of said, Yeah, I know that they're over there, and I know are over there. They didn't have a, a relationship with one another. You can amazing, you join that lodge. And so, this was a way of putting it together. In fact, it was really so that they could throw a giant party for St. John's. The original reason Grand Lodges existed to throw dinner parties. And that is why, to this day, we throw the Grand Masters' banquet. Well, so Freemasonry starts in 1717 in London, England. Makes a skip across the pond in the late 1700s to form the very first lodge in Boston, Massachusetts in the United States, or what would become the United States. And they met at the Bunch of Grape's Tavern. Uh, Another famous tavern that was in Boston, Massachusetts is the Green Dragon Tavern. Lodge in uh, Bakersfield, named the Green Dragon Software Fellowship Lodge. Uh, and that's where the Sons of Liberty, the guys who went out and would uh, come all the team into the Bay St. Andrew's Lodge met there, and they didn't have enough people that night to open how interesting it was. About. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting is that, okay, so we met in these buildings, and in fact, it was a very public thing for being a private society. This is when Paul Revere was Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. They would publish in the newspaper when they were going to meet. There wasn't this idea of regular meetings. You the would meeting uh, every Tuesday when, you- when, when you were summoned. They would publish them into the newspapers, and that was interesting. And so I'll keep using this grid throughout all of this. The size of a lodge was small and personal. It made a cracking noise. That I was just waiting. Uh, They were small, they were personal lodges, and they didn't own a lot. They really only owned what you could probably call the ascensions. So they had a holy bible, square, and compass, and that was really, that was it. The lodge's properties. Everything else they kind of made do with. You didn't really need rods. You didn't really need gavels. You made it up. Because the lodge frequency wasn't every month or so forth, Officers tended to serve many, many years. Matter of fact, they would talk about it as they served as long as the office needed them. So you might be master for 15 years. Matter of fact, this is still true even in like the Grand Lodge of Sweden. They, a friend of mine just retired as being master after 13 years. And it's not the way that you and I think about master where he's there every Tuesday doing stuff. You know, He had a large cadre of officers, a number of what they called deputy masters. But uh, the people doing the work. But that's what happened here. And when they went to Lodge, it wasn't, you know, reading minutes and so forth. They, they were talking about the world. They talked about current events, philosophy, science, the arts, they went there to enrich their minds. And the rules and regulations were pretty short and simple. Uh, you know, there weren't any of these giant Grand Lodge constitutions. There was enough to give order, and that was about it. <laughs> the 18th century, or what we call tavern masonry. In the 19th century, we moved into town center masonry. You see, new towns were popping up all across the United States at this point, even around the world, and masonry would build in and they would colonize them. We commonly talk about this Kind of masonry, very kind of longingly, where everybody in town was a mason and they would go to lodge and the banker and the doctor and everybody on Main Street would go to lodge. Well, this is a famous kind of it's not a portrait, it's the lodge above Simpkins' store. And the story kind of this one is there was a shop there, a storeman, his name was Simpkins, and he built a lodge room above his corner store. And everyone in the town who was a mover and a shaker belonged to that lodge. Uh, in fact, by the way, we talk about California masonry. It was pretty common that in Gold Rush era towns, there was one common fraternal building. So we might not have a lodge building that's just Freemasonry. You'd have a Freemasons and an Odd Fellows and a Woodman of the West and so forth, and you'd know who was meeting based on this lantern hanging out front. You ever go to Columbia, California? It's a gold rush town in Northern California. Uh, famous among pork breeders in the area. You want to learn about California history there. But we also own in a lodge room there. And we actually have one of those lanterns. And you do turn it. And so on one side there's the square compass, and you know what a base is. And then you turn it, and there's those three leaks of chain that say, oh, it's the odd fellows. And then you turn it, and there's the uh, independent board. We kind of needed them. And so, how would you know that lodge was meeting? Well, again, there wasn't this idea of the stated meeting, the way that you and I think of it. They would, instead of posting in the newspaper, they would just put postings on buildings. Lodge meeting tonight. Come down to the lodge above Sinkin's store. Uh, and so on and so forth. The lodges still were very small and very personal. You, you, you belong to the lodge kind of in the town that you were in, and towns tended to be small in. Time. But even if you were in a big city like San Francisco, you would still belong to a small and personal lodge. Their possessions, though, started to change. Because they now have a building, they could start leaving things there. And so the possessions began to grow. But that's just one of the small changes, right? You still serve for as long as the office needed you might be secretary for as long as the lodge actually existed because some of these lodges would close uh, just like the lodge in columbia california that i was referencing earlier the meetings kept talking about current events but they began to talk really about the civics of the town and that made sense the movers and the shakers the leaders of the town were the ones who were the members of it and then finally the constitutions of their grand lodge, the rules that governed them were still very short they were very simple they gave enough boundary to let you do it but they relied on the good judgment of the master to figure out how to get things done that was town center masonry now what you and i have grown up in is the 20th century and that's cathedral masonry so this building here on your left is the detroit masonic temple Uh, some of you may have been there it's the largest masonic building in the united states uh, it is twenty some odd stories tall. It has an auditorium a movie theater, a gymnasium, a pool, a barber shop, uh, a pool hall versus the pool, uh, both of them in there. Uh, it was built to be a hotel, so these are all hotel rooms. This is so weird. Those are all hotel rooms. Anna, you're fired. Um, On the right hand side, a very similar style of building. This is in Sacramento, California. This is uh, one of our our buildings uh, on J Street. So the Capitol is just about where Aaron is uh, relative to this. We built these giant cathedrals to Freemasonry, buildings that could really subsume entire city blocks in some ways. Matter of fact, this is an entire city block. And this is multiple city blocks. It's sort of, you know, I'm from Las Vegas, and we talk about major city blocks. And we talk about, well, I live in Morocco. We talk about Charleston and and Decatur and major city blocks. This is a major city block. Uh, And so that's kind of where Freemasonry was at the time. This is when we started the ideas of the fixed, stated, and special meetings. The size of our lodges became large. matter of fact, this is the birth of the megalodge and the idea of doing dozens of degrees every week. Our possessions, as you could imagine, with a building this size began to grow. This is really the era of the proliferation of the abandoned bodies, too. We would create things because we had giant areas to store things that never before had. Uh, This is when Knights Temple became really big moving force in the fraternity because you could have a locker room this size and each one of us having our own lockers to leave our uniforms there uh this is when we started the idea of one man one office one gear and that's because well, we're doing dozens of degrees i've got plenty of people who all want to be masters this is where we got the idea that you weren't a real member until you were an officer you weren't a real member until you were past master where this all starts one man, one year, one office. Keep it moving, keep it moving. Our meeting topics changed. We no longer talked about civics or current events. It really was all lodge business all the time. This is when we started the idea of reading the minutes at every meeting and the timers report and so on and so forth. And in fact, talking about anything other than the minutes of the lodge was discouraged. Uh, of the California Masonic Code, and all of the other Grand Lodges have one just like these giant three-inch binders of laws. You know, Aaron and I were just commenting, this is one of the first years that we've seen so few pieces of legislation of our annual meeting. I think the era of the three-inch binder of laws is sort of coming to a close. Uh, one of my predecessors working in working at the Grand Lodge, he was the assistant Grand Secretary in the 1950s. Uh, he kind of very famously talked about how he disliked the idea of writing the California Masonic Code because that's when we wrote it, it was in the 1950s. There had been some predecessors to it uh, Ross's Digest, where all the Grand Master's decisions were put in one place. That was really it. He said, we shouldn't write this California Masonic Code, not because he thought it was a bad idea for us to have laws. He didn't want to go all wild west on us. But he said, it's going to take away the good power of the master to use his judgment to figure out what's right for you and replace it with all California bases trying to legislate every single eventuality, which is sort of what the California Masonic Code has become. In fact, the number one question that my team gets every day is, will the CMC let me do this? And so let me tell you on their behalf. Yes, yes, it probably will. Uh, And the reason for that is the California Masonic Code is a restrictive, not a permissive document. So it tells us what you can't do, not what you can do most of the time. There are a few times that tells you what you can. Uh, And so what we figure out from that is, okay, how do you figure out what you should do? Would a reasonable person think that's a good idea? Well, I want to put a talking goat head inside of my chamber of reflection. Well, there's nothing in the CC that says you can't. But would a reasonable person think that's a good idea? Probably not. So this is where we started that giant thing. So you can see there were some shifts over time. We started seeing a move from kind of very small, very personal lodges to very, very large lodges. And I think that this being kind of a bit of an anomaly. And it begs the question, you know, now as we're entering the 21st century, who are we going to choose to be as an organization? What is it going to mean to be a Freemason in the 21st century? And I think that's our path to right at the moment. And so I'll tell you, you know, all of my day is really comprised by the questions of how can we make the lodges in California the strongest lodges in the world? Well, this all kind of came out of our fraternity's 2020 plan and in that we talked to about 10 percent of the membership around the state and said what do, you, what do you want for the next 10 or five years and they said we want a rewarding member experience we want uh, meaningful and memorable degrees strong lodges and halls and our impact on society and it's that question of strong lodges and halls that motivates me on a daily basis i ask questions like if there is a task that's done by a hundred or more california masons and it's not a meaningful, like, I mean, doing the ritual interpersonal thing. Should we talk about centralizing? And we've done that with some things. We started centralizing tax returns for lodges. Because do you know what? No one joined Freemasonry to do, even CPAs? Do taxes. We started the process of a test group of centralizing dues payments. Because do you know what the bane of every secretary's existence is? Dues payments or the money advocate on behalf of your secretary, pay your dues when you get your notice, because otherwise we spend six months tracking you down to get you to pay them, and it is the worst pain of your life. Um, I'm sorry. I'll uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, <and>, uh, <laughs> Oh no, I knew it. Um, all right, so, you know, originally again, i'm a scientist i have a phd in cell biology microbial pathogenesis and uh, um, and so what you probably don't know is scientists are very lazy human uh we don't like doing things that other people have already done and so we've got to ask the question are there already strong lodges in the world and what can i learn from them and that's actually the great part of my job i get to travel around and talk to brothers like you over california and all around the world and i get to see what a strong lodge like this one does and what it does well and what we can tell other people about it and every lodge in the world that i've been to it's a strong lodge kind of fits these criteria it's a small lodge of close friends and they all really show up when the lodge meets they all have something meaningful that they're doing, you know, and that's, that's kind of part of this recipe. Everybody is there, everybody's engaged, and they all kind of feel like they're pulling together and pulling hard. I was reading a Department of Labor study recently, and it said that by 2020, 40% of Americans are going to work from home. And I thought that was a really interesting factoid because I work in an office and I get a lot out of that. And when you have a good day, you get something to celebrate with. When you have a bad day, more importantly, you get something to commiserate with. Also, in the times in between, you stop by and say, Hey, buddy, how are you? What's going on? I love work from home. My dog loves it more when I work home. <laughs> but as much as I love talking to my dog, he is a shit conversationist. You can edit that part out. Uh, and. Can only imagine in 2020 when 40% of Americans work at home, that they're going to be crying out for interpersonal activity, right? <coughs> we are social creatures. We want to be with other people. And so I think that we're coming upon a time when Freemasonry and other organizations, Rotary, Kiwanis, book clubs, churches, the Odd Belts, the Elves, are going to see people coming to our doors and saying, help me surround myself with good people, help me grow, help me make a difference in the world. So I think we're in a prime opportunity. And I think this is coupled with the fact that, you know, the internet is making the world bigger and smaller all at once. I have 2,200 Facebook friends I just looked and I could not tell you anything about what's going on most of their lives. You know, I know what their kid or their pet looks like and what they had for dinner last night. Because that's all being our post there. I just went back to a college reunion and, and, you know, I knew what was happening in all of your lives, but I didn't know. I just knew that you had a baby and I knew that you got to move to wherever and you're doing whatever. But it's not a real relationship. And I think that as great as that was, it left me feeling more alone because I didn't feel like I was actually connected with them despite knowing these things. It was very creepy, actually. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the California Masons who are in our fraternity today. The average California Mason has been a member for about 25 years, and in fact, he's 53 years old on average. But the average applicant is really interesting. This is every applicant of the fraternity in the past five years, the age they were when they applied. And what you can see is there is a strong skew over here to the left-hand side of the graph. And that's not surprising. What you can see on here is there are masons today who joined join were 18 to 89. But the average age was 36. The average age was 36. so i looked at it here in a demographic graph and what you can take away from this is there are as many millennials who apply to the fraternity as baby boomers and gen xers combined and that's a big number and that's a big number what also will make you just absolutely disgusted on here is that there are still younger men who are coming to the fraternity today I am used to being the youngest guy in the room, and now there are younger guys who are joining the fraternity today. The centennials, they're even younger than the millennials. Make better choices. (laughs) So the size of the lodge becomes kind of an interesting question. I tell you that the lodge has been the strongest in the world. Small logic, close friends. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, this isn't a new idea. This is the Regius manuscript. It's an epic poem, 792 lines, written in the 1400s by King Athelstan in England. And it grants a charter to the operating society, big bricklayers, pilasters, essentially the tree bases. But that's not what they call But it sure reads like the way that we operate the society today. And it says, that a master shall take no prentice, unless he have good assurance to dwell seven years with him, as I tell you his craft to learn that he is profitable. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Uh, I have a good friend of mine who is an english Mason, who lives at the Masonic home in Union City. He's saying a perfect one. past passed, right Greece, the past master was all this long. And I went to him and I said, Edgar, would you do me a favor and translate? He said, Jordan, don't read it. He said, you shouldn't be reading the Regius manuscript. You should be reading Anderson's Constitutions. So, Anderson's Constitutions, uh, written in 1723 by James Anderson, the Reverend James Anderson. And he was one of the men who was part of the forming of that premier Grand Lodge in the Books of Iron and pattern. And he said, you know, we should write down what it is. We stand for. There were already other masons that were existing in London, and they wanted to say, what does it mean if you wanted to join this group? What is this Grand Lodge all about? And so they wrote down what the ancient charges and regulations of Freemasonry were at that time. And so one of the things is that he says is, the master should take no apprentice unless he has sufficient employment for him. Well, that makes sense. You know, I don't hire somebody just because they're I hired them because they're going to make a difference in my office. And therefore, I shouldn't bring a new guy into our office unless I've got a meaningful reason for them to contribute. You're Freemasons. The whole idea of our fraternity is that we build things. So guys don't like just sitting around on the sidelines going, Well, oh, yeah, this is great. I like watching all of you build things. I really want to just sit here and do nothing on my butt. Unless you have a reason for a guy, you should bring them in. That's what he's saying. But a little while later, he says, there's going to come a time when the brethren of a lodge are going to separate from the lodge where they were made, if the lodge becomes too numerous. (laughs) This makes sense. What it's telling us is there is a finite amount of work that a lodge does, and that there's kind of a finite size of a lodge. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you don't have something to do, you're going to go away. Right, they can say, "I'm going to go away and I'm going to build a new model and help continue to spread Freemasonry around." And that's how the fraternity becomes stronger, is we carry that message with us and we keep building and working together. You know, we frequently compare ourselves to the United Grand Lodge and Superbender, of course. You know, they have two hundred twenty-five thousand masons, mostly in England, but all around the world. Well, here in California we have 55,000 masons and that's a hard comparison to draw but i'll tell you a better comparison this is the city of london the city of london has 55,000 masons the state of california has 55,000 masons and for those of you who are geographically challenged they are very different in size but what's interesting is in the city of london there are 1,500 lodges and here in california we have 335 lodges so that means that the average size of a lodge in London is 27 and the average size of a lodge in California is 170. Those are slightly different sizes. You know, I get to do some great things and travel around the country and talk to people. And I recently got to go to Omaha, Nebraska in February. It was cold. But I got to talk to the Conference of Grand Masters of North America, and I asked them, how many members are there in your lodge? and I heard numbers from 50 to 500 with an average of about 120. Okay 120. So I then asked them how many show up and a nervous chuckle went across the and they told me numbers from 15 to 50 with an average of about 30. And that 30 number actually turns out to be pretty meaningful because no matter where in the world I go whether it's everywhere in North America where the average size of a lodge is 120 where everywhere else in the world, where the average size of a lodge is 34, about 30 guys show up. Well, that means that everywhere else in the world, if 30 guys show up in North America, I'm only seeing a quarter of my lodge. Whereas here, if I go anywhere else in the world, I'm seeing about 90 percent of it. And that means, the same 30 guys, but I'm getting a much deeper penetration and seeing most of my lodge at any given time. I'll tell you a quick story about San Francisco. I think. Uh, in 1940, there were 775,000 people living in San Francisco, and there were 70 lodges. So that means about one lodge for every 10,000 people. Well, in 2015, the population of San Francisco became 850,000, not that much more. We're bordered by water on all three sides. But we only had nine lodges in 2015. All the lodges were kind of consolidated away or moved out to the I'm really proud to tell you that in 2018 we added three more lodges, so 12 lodges. Now that's not one lodge for every 10,000 people anymore, but it's getting close to one lodge for every 50,000 people, which is what I think is actually the rate limit that we could accommodate in California today, a lodge in every town that has 50,000 people. And I think that's exciting. Because it gives us an opportunity to actually engage with our communities. I'll tell you, in the past two and a half years, we have formed 23 new lodges to Now that might not sound like a whole lot to you, but I'll tell you in the past 15 years, we've formed 23 lodges up in Tel the past three years. And that's really <clears throat> exciting. We are helping to make penetration. And bring free masonry to more people than you've ever had the opportunity in the state of California before. <laughs> of these 23 lodges, 86% of the guys have them live within a 20 mile radius. So about 50% of them live within a 5 mile radius. Now, what's interesting about that is it means that the lodge that you belong to is made up of people in the community that you live in. And that starts to change things. In San Francisco, the master of one of our lodges lives in Sacramento. And one of the senior wardens lives halfway between there. So he drives three and a half hours every week from Sacramento to San Francisco and back after lodge. So a seven-hour day in the car to go to lodge every week. Now, God bless you for that engagement fraternity. But do you know how many lodges he passes on that way? I don't want to say you, know, you should join one of them, but maybe. It's the question what's the difference when we actually belong to a lodge in the community in which we live. It takes about nine months to form a new lodge. There's generally 18 guys in them. They pretty well reflect the size of the fraternity. But what's really interesting, we just formed a new lodge in Murrieta. Uh, so Murrieta, not far from here, one of the actual fastest growing cities in California. What's really fascinating about Murrieta is it never had a Yet there were 150 bases living in Murrieta already, God bless you. Uh, there were 150 bases living in Murrieta right now. In a 30 process, you know, there was never a lodge. And so we wrote to them and we said, hey, we're thinking of forming a lodge here in Murrieta. Anybody interested? We got some responses that. And from the guys that said, yeah, I'm interested, I, I asked questions. How engaged are you with Freemasonry? And you know, you guys come nice super engaged, super engaged. I said, great, how often do you go to lodge? And a number of them said, i go, like, yeah, pretty okay. But about a quarter of them said, I never go to lodge. Okay, well, do you go to Easter, Star, Scottish Rite, Shrine, something else? No, I never go to those either. Okay, let me make sure I actually understand. Are super engaged in Freemasonry, but you never go to a thing in Yes, that is absolutely correct. Okay. I actually went out have that, guys I was having a hard time processing this. I went to his office. Uh, I went with a friend of mine, and he was actually a Golden Veteran. I get to his office, he has his Golden Veterans certificate up on the wall with the appropriate amount dust on it, and I talked to him, and he said, look, I love Freemasonry. I live its values every day, but the that I belong to, I just don't make a connection with the members there, and don't feel like I'm it. and I don't feel like there's something meaningful for me to do that merits why I am going to go out and do something. I don't want to just sit there and have a nice dinner. I want to do stuff. And I said, what would you like to do? Yeah, that's what's fascinating. About half the guys who are joining new lodges are guys who have just been paying dues to lodges for the past few years. And so now, instead of sitting out there in the world and us wondering, where are they? They're coming back in, and they are doing stuff in new lodges, and that's cool, right? That's what's really fascinating and exciting. So I'll tell you some lessons Uh, for new lodges, but also I think that they're... For reading lodges. Lodges like yours that can learn from this and go, okay, what can I do? And there's five. Uh, the first one is a new lodge has the power to choose its charter members and its leaders out of the gate. There are no past pastors saying, well, they don't care But I think this is a good thing for existing lodges as well. We've got to break this idea of the progressive line. That's not helping anybody. You know, we were just talking about how oh, I'm getting ready to do my second term as master at Prometheus, and he's getting ready to go on to his fourth term as master here at four more years, right? In many lodges, what happens is I as master when you as junior steward. And because I wear a top hat, I can psychically see into the future. <laughs> and I know that in 10 years, you are going to grow and develop into this type of leader, and in 10 years, our lodge is going to need that same type of leader, and magically, they are going to come together, and the lodge are going to cross, and it's going to be fabulous, because they're wearing top hat works every single time. No. But yet, we appoint a guy who's a nice guy to be a junior steward, and suffer from those times, right? <laughs> We have the power to choose our leaders. And that's important. You know, Choosing a meeting place is important. 49% of California towns do not have a Masonic lodge. Now look, I don't think that Freemasonry is for everybody. I think Freemasonry makes good men better. I don't think it makes passive men good or OK men passable. I think that you know, there's something about that. But that means that in all these towns and communities, where there might not be an existing lodge there, so we have to be creative. And you know, the creativity comes in a variety of ways, like the downtown Masonic Lodge in downtown Los Angeles. They are screwed. they are moved, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> the name will have all of those sorts of changes. But they meet at the Los Angeles Athletic Club. They call themselves the lodge and the Office. They mill their stuff in, they set it up, they put it down, they wheel it away. As if no one's ever wise what the lodge had. Choosing our meeting place is important. I think. What's interesting about that is we eat with our eyes first. The beauty of our buildings are important. And so investing into our real estate. Here you probably remember when I would take a tour what happened there. But a brand new prospect walking in the door is going, oh, I bet that was a great cool game in 1923. And I bet that you know, there's a tear, there's a chip, there's a well, you guys don't care about it. Why should I? So we meet with our eyes first. Uh the The fourth one is the lodge identity. We spend a lot of time talking about lodge identity with new lodges. I frequently use this thing, uh, it's called the Golden Circle by a guy by the name of Simon Sinek. And it just gives us an opportunity to reflect and say, you know, why do we exist? Not just what are we doing, but really try to get to the heart of the issue. The fourth lesson is don't panic. Now, I get panic phone calls every day from people, particularly about this time here Capitalist. But I can panic phone calls what I got earlier this year was from a guy saying, look, I'm the secretary of the lodge, we're supposed to install all of our officers on Saturday, the guy that we elected like Napster, called me this afternoon and told me he's an atheist and can no longer be Mason. This has never happened before in the history of free history. what do we do, chicken little, running around the street, this guy's falling, well, this guy's falling. Well. And, and for him, this is the first time he's heard. Fortunately for me, it wasn't. But here's the thing. We're the world's oldest and largest fraternity. It has probably happened before to somebody else. And so the big part of the job that I have is helping people calm down and not panic. And that's the same lesson here for an existing launch. Don't panic. And the reason we shouldn't is there are resources. We can lean into things. If you're talking about your building, we have a real estate service talking about trying to get a bylaw in the past or change your dues, I've got a member services team if you want to figure out how to get on time I've got a financial services team. We have resources and that's why we don't panic. I guess the fifth lesson is a rising tide of salt. all I belong to a lodge in downtown San Francisco. Two new lodges have started next to it. And I have to tell you Freemasonry could not be better as a result. We're planning a joint St. John's Day uh, cocktail burning now, but it's in December. Uh, and it's all the lodges kind of pulling together and saying, it's great. There are nine lodges that meet in my building. I meet in the new Freemasons Hall at the Grand Lodge building, which all of you should come and see when you come to annual communication. But there are nine lodges that meet there. We do joint prospecting events because we want the guy to find the right lodge for him, not just mine. I, he, he wrote me first a rising tide lifts all boats because we're all in it together and that's exciting you know we provide resources to our new lodges nobody joined the fraternity to start doing bookkeeping and records administration so we do all their taxes for them we set up all their bank accounts we do their bookkeeping for them to make it easier and you guys probably have a lodge app yeah? yeah i will tell you that is my favorite thing that we rolled out particularly as a secretary because i can take payments through it so i don't have to hound you at dinner for twenty dollars I just say go pay at the app now i guess this really brings me towards the end of my talk which is modern masonry we've talked about tavern masonry town center cathedral and now what is modern masonry look like well i think that modern masonry looks like this i think we're still going to have fixed stated meetings but i think we're going to have less outcome I think that the modern member of the fraternity is saying, how do I really engage in fraternity and not just every month show up and read minutes of meeting where we read minutes? I think lodges are gonna become more small and personal. And while you probably have 100-something members of this lodge, 200, you probably see about 30 of them already. And the reality is you are a small and a personal lodge, you just have 170 extra people paying your dues. I think our possessions are going to change we're going to start seeing lodges meeting in untraditional meeting places and that means that we're going to start seeing us moving back towards what's required we're going to start seeing us question the essentials there's a great quote from the catholic liturgy that said in essentials unity in non-essentials liberty but in all things charity and i always love that quote because what it says is, And the things that we have to do, let's do them, let's do them well. And the things that aren't essential, you figure it out. But no matter what we do, be nice to one another about how we do it. And I liked that, because what it says, what's right for my lodge might not be right for your lodge. And that's not bad. It just means that they're different. And because they're different doesn't mean, that. now I should say, you shouldn't do that because I I don't know that, well, that's great. You do you, boo-boo. We're already seeing this. Men are serving for as long as is necessary again. Masters are serving for multiple terms. Officers are serving for multiple terms. Not because we don't have somebody else to do it, but because the lodge needs that from us. Lodges need consistent leadership. We're already seeing the topics of being changes. We're not just talking about you know, what did we do last month, and what does the trestle board say? I'm traveling a lot of talking to lodges, and I'm probably not the only person who's coming and talking to you this year. We want to learn and grow as people, don't we? Yes. Our CMC is probably not going to change. But the members of the Grand Lodge are already saying maybe we don't need three inch body We're seeing less and less legislation. We're saying, master you know it do what's right for your lodge and let's figure out how to get there and that's what I tell people when they call me and they say what do I do what does the CMC say well we say what do you think you need to do and let's figure out how we get you there and so you know, here's all four centuries 18 19 20 and 21 what I think is you know if you were to go through and read this which I hope you aren't doing right now I think you'd find that the 20th century, the one that all of us grew up in, is the anomaly. Big mega lodges, lots of stuff, really boring meetings. I think that that's going away. And I think the future looks a lot more like the 18th and 19th centuries than before. And in fact, when we talk to young men who are coming to the today, they talk about their grandfather's masonry more often than not. And so I think what's interesting is what makes Freemasonry relevant today is what makes the strongest lodges in the world. Men come to our fraternity want three things. They want to make true friends. They want to learn and improve themselves. And they want to make a difference. True friends, you know, not just an internet acquaintance, but somebody that you can lean into, somebody that when you're having a bad day, you can turn to. Learn and improve yourself sometimes that means sitting around listening to a Yahoo like but more often than not it means surrounding yourself with people that inspire you people that call you to be the best version of yourself people that make you want to be better you know, that's that old adage right if you want to be a better person surround yourself with better people and make a difference there are two main differences right there's the things that all of us can do to and that one of us could not do on our own. The Masonic homes in California, the Shriner's Hospitals, the Knights Templar I Foundation, things that you and I do. We don't have enough money to do that. If you do have enough money to do that, we need to talk after. <laughs> um, but then there's the other difference, the little difference, the one that only I can make. And the one that if I'm not making, I'm probably gonna walk away because we're builders. Freemasons are builders We want to be actively engaged in. Something meaningful, even if it's a really young kids wine want to so I appreciate. It. So, guys, this is my contact information. It brings me to my time with you here. Uh, I do work for our fraternity, and it is just as great a job as you probably think it is. Uh, I get to spend every day, day in and day out, talking to guys like you, and unfortunately, also Carlos. Uh, I am so grateful that you invited me down here. Uh, This is my first time to your lodge. I remember when Aaron came and visited my lodge when I was master the first time, and he stood there and told me he was from Solomon Staircase 357. I said, shit, that is the coolest name and number combination for a lodge, which I was convinced up until this evening was actually the original name and number of your lodge. Uh, I'm deeply disappointed that it was Uh, But that said, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for having me up here. I'm happy to sit around and chat with you guys and answer some questions. If you have any that you want to talk to, we can. Otherwise, I'd say we can wrap it up and uh, chat over the mom more. I'll tell you, in the past two and a half years, we have formed 23 new lodges to come Now, that might not sound like a whole lot to you, but I'll tell you, in the past 15 years, we have formed 23 lodges up in Teller the past three years. And that's really exciting. We are helping to make penetration and bring masonry to more people than you've ever had the opportunity in the state of California before. Of these 23 lodges, 86% of the guys that lived in a 20 mile radius, so about 50% of them live within a 5 mile radius. Now, what's interesting about that is it means that the lodge that you belong to is made up of people in the community that you live in. And that starts to change things. In San Francisco, the master of one of our lodges lives in Sacramento. And one of the senior wardens lives halfway between there. So he drives three and a half hours every week from Sacramento to San Francisco and back after lodge. So a seven hour day in the car to go to lodge every week. Now, God bless him for that engagement But do you know how many lodges he on that way? I don't want to say you, know, you should join one of them, but then it kind of begs the question: what's the difference when we actually belong to a lodge in the community in which we live? It takes about nine months to form a new lodge. There's generally 18 guys in them. They pretty well reflect the size of the fraternity. But what's really interesting, we just formed a new lodge in Muriel. Uh, so Muriam not far from here, one of the actual fastest growing cities in California. What's really fascinating about Murrieta is they had never had a lodge. Yet there were 150 bases living in Murrieta already. Oh, God bless you. Uh, there were 150 bases living in Murrieta right now. And <laughs> about 30 prospects. You know, there was never a lodge And so we wrote to them and we said, hey, we're thinking about forming a new lodge here in Murrieta. Anyone interested? We got some responses to that. And from the guys that said, Yeah, I'm interested, I, I asked the question, How engaged are you with Freemasonry? And you know, the guys in back said, Super engaged. Super engaged. I said, Great, how often do you go to lodge? And a number of them said, I don't know. But about a quarter of them said, I never go to lodge. Okay. Well, do you go to Eastern Star, Scottish Rite, Shrine? never the song. Yes, there is absolutely the guys who are joining new lodges are guys who have just paying dues to lodges for the past few years. And so now, instead of sitting out there in the world and us wondering where are they, they're coming back in and they are doing stuff in new lodges, and that's cool, right? That's what's really fascinating and exciting. So I'll tell you some lessons uh, for new lodges, but also I think that they're good for reading Lodges like yours that can learn from this and go, okay, what can I do? And there's five. Uh, the first one is a new lodge has the power to choose its charter members and in its leaders out of the gate. There are no past masters saying, well, you are hear you do this. But I think this is a good thing for existing lodges as well. We've got to break this idea of the progressive line, everybody wants This and these games are to go on to sport term as master here at four uh, more right years, right? <laughs> uh, in many lodges, what happens is I, as master, when you, as junior shooter, and because I wear a top hat, I can psychically see into the future, <laughs> and I know that in 10 years, you are going to grow and develop into this type of leader, and in 10 years, our is going to be that same type of leader and magically they're going to come together and the lines are going to cross and get fabulous because I'm wearing top hat works every single time. No, but yet we appoint a guy who's a nice guy to become a junior steward and suffer from those times, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have the power to choose our leaders. And that's important. You know, choosing a meeting place is important. Forty-nine percent of California towns do not have a Masonic lodge. Now, look, I don't think that Freemasonry is for everybody. I think Freemasonry makes good men better. I don't think it makes passive men good or okay men passive. Men. I think that you know there's something about that. But that means that in all these towns and communities where we're looking to put a the lodge, there might not existing lodge there so we have to be creative And you know creative comes in a variety of ways like the downtown masonic lodge in downtown los angeles they are screwed they're by the way <laughs> the, the <laughs> name will have all of those sorts of changes but they meet at the los angeles athletic club they call themselves the lodge in the office they you wheel know, their stuff in they set it up they put it down they wheel it away it's as if no one's ever wise in the lodge happening choosing our meeting place is important i think What's interesting about that is we eat with our eyes first. The beauty of our buildings are important. And so investing into our real estate, investing into the way it looks and the way it gets there. I recently was at a lodge in Oregon. And one of the guys was telling me, you know, I grew up in this building, my kids grew up in this building, I love this building. I thought that that's great. I appreciate that. Except when you look around, there's paint chipping off the wall, the pool table has a giant run in it, and it's been that way for a while. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, I appreciate it. You love this. And when you come here, you come and remember when I would take a what happened there. But a brand new prospect walking the door is going, oh, I bet that was a great pool game in 1923. And I bet that, 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 you know, people are going, there's a tear, there's a chip, there's a, well, you guys don't care about it. Why should I? with our eyes first uh, the fourth one is the lodge identity we spend a lot of time talking about lodge identity with new lodges i frequently use this thing uh, it's called the golden circle by a guy by the name of simon senate and it just gives us an opportunity to reflect and say you know why do we exist not just what are we doing but really try to get to the heart of the issue the fourth lesson is don't panic get panic phone calls every day from people, particularly about this time of year, for capitalist season. But I get phone calls. And what I got earlier this year was from a guy saying, look, I'm the Secretary of the Lodge. We're supposed to install all of our officers on Saturday. The guy that we like in his master called me this afternoon and told me he's an atheist and could no longer be a This has never happened before in the history of a mastery. What do we do? Chicken little running around the street with the dog. This guy's falling, this guy's falling in for him? this is the first time to heard. it. Fortunately for me, it wasn't. But here's the thing. We're the world's oldest and largest return. It has probably happened before to somebody else. And so the big part of the job that I have is helping people calm down and not panic. And that's the same lesson here for an existing launch. Don't panic. And the reason we shouldn't is there are resources. We can lean into things. If you're talking about your building we have a real estate services team you. if you're talking about trying to get a bylaw in the past or change your dues i've got a member of services team if you want to figure out how to get on the time i've got a financial services team we have resources and that's why we don't panic i guess the fifth lesson is a rising tide of assaults you know, i belong to a lodge in downtown san francisco two new lodges have started next to it and i have to tell you freemasonry could not be better We're planning a joint St. John's Day, Uh, I think it's turned into a cocktail party now, but it's in December, Uh, and it's all the lodges kind of pulling together and saying, that's great. There are nine lodges that meet in my building. I mean, the new Freemasons Hall at the Grand Lodge building, which all of you should come and see if you come to annual communication, but there are nine lodges that meet there. We do joint prospecting events because we want the guy to find the right lodge for him, not just the Mine. I, he, he, wrote me first. A rising tide lifts all boats because we're all in it together. Yeah. And that's exciting. know, we provide resources to our new lodges. Nobody joined the fraternity to start doing bookkeeping and records administration. So we do all their taxes for them. We set up all their bank accounts. We do their bookkeeping for them to make it easier. And you guys probably have a lodge app, yeah? yeah. I will tell you that is my favorite thing that we rolled out, particularly as a secretary, because I can take payments through it. So, I don't have to hound you at dinner for $20. I just can say, go pay it in the app. Now, I guess this really brings me towards the end of my talk, which is modern masonry. Yeah, we talked about tavern masonry, town center, cathedral, and now what does modern masonry look like? Well, I think that modern masonry looks like this. I think we're still going to have fixed, stated meetings, but I think we're going to have less outcomes. I think that the modern member of the fraternity is saying, how do I really engage in fraternity and not just every month show up and read minutes of meeting where we read minutes? I think lodges are gonna become more small and personal. And while you probably have 100-something members of this lodge, 200, you probably see about 30 of them already. And the reality is, if you are a small and a personal lodge, you just have 170 extra people paying your dues. I think our possessions are going to change. We're going to start seeing lodges meeting in untraditional meeting places, and that means that we're going to start seeing us moving back towards what's required. We're going to start seeing us question the essentials. There's a great quote from the Catholic liturgy that said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. And I always love that quote, because what it says, in the things that we have to do let's do them let's do them well and the things that aren't essential you figure it out but no matter what we do you be nice to one another about how we do it and i liked that because what it says what's right for my lodge might not be right for your lodge and that's not bad it just means that they're different and because they're different doesn't mean now i should say well, you shouldn't do that because i i don't know do that well that's great you do you. You do you, boo-boo. We're already seeing this. Men are serving for as long as is necessary again. Masters are serving for multiple terms. Officers are serving for multiple terms. Not because we don't have somebody else to do it, but because the lodge needs that from us. Lodges need consistent leadership. We're already seeing the topics of being changes. We're not just talking about... You know, what did we do last month and what does the trestle board say? I'm traveling a lot talking to lodges, and I'm probably not the only person who's coming and talking to you this year. We want to learn and grow as people, don't we? Yes. Our CMC is probably not going to change. But the members of the Grand Lodge are already saying maybe we don't need three inch binders. We're seeing less and less legislation. We're saying, master you know it do what's right for your lodge and let's figure out how to get there and that's what I tell people when they call me and they say what do I do what does the CMC say well we say what do you think you need to do and let's figure out how we get you there and so you know, here's all four centuries 18 19 20 and 21 what I think is you know if you were to go through and read this which I hope you aren't doing right now I think you'd find that the 20th century, the one that all of us grew up in, is the anomaly. Big mega lodges, lots of stuff, really boring meetings. I think that that's going away. And I think the future looks a lot more like the 18th and 19th centuries than before. And in fact, when we talk to young men who are coming to the community today, they talk about their grandfather's masonry more often than not. And so I think what's interesting is what makes Freemasonry relevant today is what makes the strongest lodges in the world. Men who come to our fraternity and want three things. They want to make true friends. They want to learn and improve themselves. And they want to make a difference. True friends, you know, not just an internet acquaintance, but somebody that you can lean into, somebody that when you're having a bad day, you can turn to. Learn and improve yourself. You know, sometimes that means sitting around listening to a like me, But more often than not, it means surrounding yourself with people that inspire you. People that call you to be the best version of yourself. People that make you want to be better. You know, that's that old adage, right? If you want to be a better person, surround yourself with better people. And make a difference. There are two main differences, right? There's the things that all of us can do together. And that one of us could not do on our own the masonic homes in california the shriner's hospitals the knight's kindler by foundation things that you and i do we don't have enough money to do that if you do have enough money to do that we need to talk after. <laughs> um, but then there's the other difference little difference the one that only i can make and the one that if i'm not making i'm probably going to walk away because we're builders Freemasons are privileged. We want to be actively engaged in our world and do something meaningful, even if it's a really young and kids and sweet which I appreciate. It. So guys, this is my contact information. It brings me to my time with you here. Uh, I do work for our fraternity, and it is just as great a job as you probably think it is. Uh, I get to spend every day, day in and day out, talking to guys like you, and unfortunately also Carlos. Uh, I am so grateful that you invited me down here. Uh, this is my first time to your lodge. I remember when Aaron came and visited my lodge when I was master the first time. And he stood there and told me he was from Solomon Staircase 357. I said, shit, that is the coolest name and number combination for a lodge. Which I was convinced up until this evening was actually the original name and number of your lodge. Uh, I'm deeply disappointed that it was better. Uh, but that said, uh, Aaron, thank you so much for having me up here. I'm having you to sit around and chat with you guys and ask some questions. If you have any, that you want to talk through your We can. Otherwise, I'd say we can wrap it up and uh, chat over you all Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment.